Nexus Church is all about cultivating an authentic Christian community where old and young alike journey with Jesus and are transformed by the gospel. May we be challenged and inspired by the power of His Word. We're starting a new series out of the book of Romans in the morning. We're tracking through the book of Revelation, just Revelation 1, 2, 3. Don't worry, we won't be getting to chapter 12 unless I really feel like it. Um, but we're just going to be doing the first three chapters in the morning. But at night, um, the team has felt to really press into the book of Romans, but not to do it sequentially, but to pull out some of the well-known scriptures that we know out of the book of Romans, the ones that we know, probably the ones that uh, you grab a hold of, uh, you know, if you have a morning um, you know, scripture thing, you know, verse for the day. Mostly it comes out of the book of Romans because it's such a powerful book. And so we're going to take a little bit longer and unpack some of the ones that we know really well, but perhaps uh, like everything, we know things well, um, but sometimes as we know them more, we forget what they actually mean. And so we're going to start tonight with Romans 8.28, a very well-known scripture verse. Um, but I don't want to go there straight away. We're going to start in verse 15 and we're going to build to it because we want to get to Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. We know that very well, I'm sure. If you've been around church, uh, you've heard that before. If not, it's a great promise to hang on to. But sometimes we skip verses to get to the good bits and uh, that's not how the Bible was written. I'm sure you're aware of this by now. It's almost like uh, playing the game of Monopoly and there's only two squares. Go to free parking and free parking. Now you've got to go around the board because going around the board makes it a proper game. Can I tell you, getting to a scripture, just a verse on its own, is actually not how the Bible was written and how, certainly not how it's meant to be applied. And I want to tell you tonight, Romans 28 in context starts a lot further back, but all of Romans chapter 8 is dealing with suffering. And how often do we claim all things work together for good when things aren't going well, but we often are claiming it when things are going really great. Can I tell you what the greatest witness of all since Christianity first began some 2,000 years ago, the greatest witness of the world is not through our achievements or when we're successful, but when we go through suffering. When we go through difficulty in life, the world stops and wonders at the faith and the buoyancy and the hope that's evident in a Christian's life. Can I tell you, greatest witness is not through your success, it's through your suffering. The loudest voice is when you go through difficulty, not when you're at the end giving the interview because you won the sprints or something. Everyone thanks God. It's my little hobby horse. I'm not going to hop on my hobby horse. I left it at home. But I want to say this. <laughs> Often people... Thank God at the end of success, but I'm always struck by people that thank God in their failures, in their challenges. That is what resonates most with humanity, particularly Aussies, I would say that. Aussies are somehow drawn to uh, people who don't do that well in life. I don't know, it's the Aussie battler tall poppy syndrome. We should probably get over it at some point. Anyway, that's my long introduction. Romans 8 verse 15. We're going to read a bunch of scripture, then we'll get to that classic verse and we'll unpack it. Then we'll go home and then someone can shout me Nando's. Okay, it's the word of the Lord. God's speaking. No, 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 <laughs> don't do that. I, I actually said something once about an iPad making me a better person. And uh, someone came up to me afterwards and said, I need to buy you an iPad. So 
if I owned a Ferrari, <laughs> if God's speaking to you about a Ferrari, anyway, Romans 8 verse 15, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. What is the atmosphere that dominates our world right now? Fear. If I can go back even slightly, the world looks at Christians during times of difficulty to identify how do they deal with hardship. I want to throw this out there. Now is not the time to be caught in conspiracy land, weird things on Facebook and ranting online. Now is the time to show people how to deal with hardship because of our hope in Jesus. And perhaps we can use COVID as a megaphone to show the world that we go through difficulty, the same difficulties as our neighbours, but we go through it differently. And maybe now is the time for the church to rise up. Maybe now is the time for young people to rise up and actually use the mechanisms that we do use on a regular basis for His glory. Rather than setting an atmosphere of fear and doubt and uncertainty, why not hope? Anyway, praise God. You'd not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, so you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughtership, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. When I was a young man, I always thought it was heirs. <laughs> Praise God. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also may share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Again, talking about sufferings. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, fallen humankind. In hope, though, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You know that's what's happening. Times are tough. People are suffering. And the world is not right. I'm sure you're aware of this right now. The world is not right. Paul is saying, things are hard. I'm in jail. I am suffering. And the world is subject to decay. It is not the way it is meant to be. I'm turning 37 in a month. Thank you. Who whistled over there? Was it peachy? I bet you it was. Anyway. <laughs> do, do, you know what, do you know what I've noticed? I'm decaying. My knee, my left knee is sore most of the time and my right knee clicks. And I don't know why it's clicking, but it's not right. And it never used to do that even two years ago, a year ago. And now it's a really hard thing for me to try and dunk on Cooper. I've got a window of time to keep dunking in his face. And then he'll catch up and I'm just going to decay. You notice this? Our world isn't getting better. And you and I are not getting better. It's kind of morbid how Paul is writing. But yet he says there is hope for us. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, 
the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. 20 times in Romans chapter 8, the work of the Holy Spirit is conveyed time and time again. One of the things that keeps our hope afloat is the Holy Spirit that stays alongside of us, the, the parakaleo as we shared a few weeks back. But as well as that, 20 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned, but an, an almost equal number amount of times is the concept of fathership or sonship is mentioned. In fact, you see twice there that we have been adopted. Now, in the modern Western world, adoption predominantly takes place when a child is really little. In the ancient world, adoption took place when someone was fully grown. In fact, for the most part, in the ancient world, adoption actually happened when someone had no natural heir to pass on all of their uh, inheritance onto. They would identify someone, likely a slave, and actually say, you know what, no one's going to keep my name going, but this slave is as good as a son as I'll ever have. And they pass on all that they have onto that person and they make them an adopted heir to all of their royalties, all that they own. When I understand that, it changes the concept of sonship because it actually means that they were selected as an adult, which means this, they weren't cute. (laughs) For whatever reason, they were chosen even with not being perfect. You know where I'm going with this. You've been adopted as an adult, been brought into the kingdom, and He knows you. He knows what you're like. He knows what you don't get right. He knows what you struggle with. He knows that you don't hit 100% all the time. He knows that you're not that cute. And yet He selects you and adopts you and gives you a complete status change. Can you imagine as a 37-year-old getting adopted into a rich inheritance that you could never even imagine with your own imagination at a full-grown age and you get adopted into something, a complete status change from a slave now to part of the family. And Romans 8 is trying to set up this understanding that you have been brought away from slavery. Your status is now changed, not based on your perfect performance, but based on what He has done. Before you get to Romans 8.28, you've got to understand one very important concept. And I actually believe this is the concept that every Christian at some point has and every Christian at some point you have to break it and it will set you free. And here it is really simply. If you don't relate to God as a father, you will relate to Him as a boss. And if you relate to Him as a boss, you'll become religious and you'll always be let down. Paul, time and again in this passage, talks about being a son or a daughter and being brought in and being adopted. And if you don't have that concept tonight, if you, if you relate to God as a boss, we'll set you up for failure. If you're working right now, no doubt many of you are, you would have a, a boss relationship or an employee-boss relationship. Likely you work for someone. And here's how it works. You work... And they pay you for working. Brilliant concept, isn't it? 
I'm speaking to anybody tonight, any teenagers out there, praise God. <laughs> you work and you get paid for your work. In fact, you should be getting paid and no one at all finishes the work week and gets their paycheck and says, oh, what a surprise. No, you know how it works. You work and you get paid. That's a boss relationship. Can I tell you that a lot of people carry that to their relationship with God because they don't have a father concept? They actually have a boss relationship. I've been working. I've been getting everything right. I go to church. I've talked about this many times. I, I give regularly. I raise both hands in church. I do all of these things, God. Why isn't it going the way I thought it would go? Why didn't I get that promotion? Why didn't I marry that person? Why did that person not pull through when I thought they really should have? Can I tell you, I'd hear that concept on a regular basis and no one would stand before me and say that God is my boss, but I can tell you it creeps in because time goes by and we think that we earn it. And somehow we drift away from the status of being a son or a daughter and we subtly shift into this religious environment where it becomes a boss and an employee. And when we have that, it is completely toxic to your understanding of God because it is all based on your performance. It's a two-prong attack. One, you become entitled. Why is everybody else getting it? Have you seen this person? They, they got saved two weeks ago and now they got a promotion again. And this is what we start to do in church all the time. You know, someone gets saved and then someone in their family is radically healed and we're still waiting. And so we go over to them and we, what, what did you do? How did you do it? Like, what prayer did you pray? Like when you asked God for that healing, like, was your hand on like a certain angle? Like, am I doing it right? Do you know why we do that? Because you have a boss-employee relationship with God. And then that means if I just get everything right, then he'll have to reward me. He'll have to give me what I'm asking for. Paul is saying, if you want to live a life out of Romans 8, 28, it says all things work together for good. You've got to destroy the boss relationship with God. And maybe in this place, even as the Holy Spirit is just pressing your heart right now, I just want to set you free from that. I just want to break that off your life. Because it's not based on your perfect performance. It's not based on you just getting everything right. Is there a concept of sowing and reaping in your life? Absolutely. God has hardwired that into the world that He has created. If you actually are generous, there is a sowing and reaping component to our lives. I understand that. But that is not earning our right stand. That is not earning things from God. It's very different. Can I break it off your life? And maybe there's a subtle voice that you're asking God, why is it not working out? Why is my life not where I thought it would be? Haven't I done everything right? He's not your boss. He's your father. Sometimes the hardest thing about being a father is when you can't explain your decision to your kids. This afternoon when I was preparing, it's kind of half related, but not so much, but it's kind of hilarious. I'm preparing and Emerson raced upstairs. He'd, uh, he'd lost his screen time this weekend through various circumstances. I won't go into details of it. <laughs> raced upstairs. Dad, I just, I've been downstairs for an hour and a half and Cooper has finished his screen time because he's only allowed an hour. I said, all right, thanks for drawing that to my attention. I'll go let him know. And Emerson turns to me and goes, nah, Dad, don't worry about it. 
I'll let him know. <laughs> oh boy, that went down really well. Cooper was just so overjoyed to see his brother and, and convey that information that his screen time was up. He said, oh, thank you, dear brother. You're a good friend to me. <laughs> Can I tell you, the father has to sometimes make decisions that he can't explain to his kids. When it comes to Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. Does that mean you'll understand it? Does that mean you'll be able to comprehend it? Because sometimes a father just makes a call. And sometimes it breaks the father's heart. But when we trust the father, we know that we belong in his presence, not based on our performance, but based on our status before him. And sometimes things are withheld. Sometimes things are removed. Sometimes things are given. But at the end of the day, we have to trust the father's heart. And I just want to break that off your life. Maybe you've been saying, I'm trying really hard, Lord. I'm trying to get everything right. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do the right things and I'm just not seeing the breakthrough. Can I just break that off your life, that boss relationship, even tonight? Paul says in verse 18 that I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. In fact, I want to go a step further. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, is actually the translation. I consider. Paul has taken a moment and considered what he's going through. He uses a Greek world, world, word. Eh, hold on a second here. He uses a Greek word, logizomai. Logizomai means to reason, to use logic, to calculate, to determine, to develop a firm conviction based on rational thought. I have thought long and hard about it and I've realised that our present sufferings aren't great, but they're not worth comparing to our future glory. Can I tell you what fundamentally the Christian faith requires of us? It requires us to think. I don't know your concept of faith, but we often think faith is taking this giant leap and that when you come in here, you've got to check your brain at the door and you can get it on the way back out. No, Paul says, I consider I have legosomide. I have used my logic and I have weighed it up and I've realised something. Right now is really tough, but it's nothing compared to the glory that will come for us. In fact, he elaborates on this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You see, before Paul gets to Romans 8.28, he's reminding us that no matter what we go through, it's nothing compared to the glory that is on its way. And he says this, for our light and momentary troubles are nothing compared to the eternal weighty things to come. And very often in our lives, I feel like we miscategorize our difficulties. I feel like we ascribe a weighty and eternal uh, label almost. Oh, sorry a weighty and eternal sort of category when it's only meant to be light and momentary. You do this all the time when you raise kids. You always try and explain to them that something is really light and momentary. It doesn't really matter regarding toys or screen time. You ask them how their day was and they come home and say, well, it was a terrible day. What's so terrible about it? Oh, well, someone kicked the ball over the fence and so at lunchtime we just had to play Tiggy instead. Worst day of my life. You know? Well, that was a bad move. You should have played Stuck in the Mud. Everybody knows that. But you're always doing that with your kids, aren't you? You're trying to help them realise that, yeah, it was bad, but compared to the larger scale of things, it's not that bad. 
Could it be that our Father in heaven is constantly trying to do the same thing for us? Trying to say, you might think something today is weighty and eternal. I can tell you right now, it's light and momentary. And if you've been to one of those places like a yogurt land, friends of ours have got one at Chermside. We used to go to it all the time when we lived in the States. Yogurt land was one of our favourite places to go visit. And you know how it works. You go in there and you load up your yogurt and all the toppings. And, you know, if you're distracted as a parent and you see your kids have just like loaded up 14 kilos, <laughs> you just think, oh, no, I don't understand how it works. And you take it up there and, you know, you've got like, you know, three pieces of trail mix and a tiny little flake at like 28 cents and they've got all of this loaded up and they, they certainly make the yogurt things pour out super quick. It's like they've set it up at right height for the kids to just access that lever. But you know, you get to the end and then someone else weighs it for you. Notice they never let you weigh it on your own. Because maybe if you weighed it, you might just like just take, the lot, just, just take a bit of the weight off it. 38 cents cheaper. Can I tell you that we need to allow God to weigh the things in our lives? What is weighty and eternal? And what is light and momentary? And sometimes I think we go through difficulties that almost feel like they're suffocating, but very often we've just decided that that thing is weighty and eternal. But in the grand scheme of things, if we let God weigh it up, He might put it in a different category and say, you know what, that's light and momentary, it'll pass. We often feel like there's things that are heavy for us and they're life-shattering and, and perhaps they are. I'm not downplaying it. In fact, Paul lived in a place of almost constant suffering and yet at the very same time and constant suffering, he's saying this, I know my life is tough, I know I'm in jail, but I've decided something and I've talked to God about it. It's light and momentary. I wonder if even tonight there's something that's really weighing you down. Maybe it's an interaction you've had with someone at work. Maybe it isn't where your, your life thought you'd be. Or, or maybe there is just this thing that is gnawing away at you and it's really weighing on you. You know, in the eyes of God, He might even tonight, if you allowed Him, He might say, I know it's heavy for you. I know that you might feel like that is a level of suffering and perhaps it truly is. Would you allow Him to just go, maybe that's light and momentary. Compared to eternity, it's light and momentary. It's so easy to get our nose out of joint about the most ridiculous things. I don't know, but it just seems like the shops right now, you, you go there and people have just stopped taking their crazy pills or they're taking their crazy pills. I don't know which anymore. You know, people are ramming their trolleys around. You really get, up, it really gets you upset, you know. One of the things that always upsets me is when someone parks out the front of my house. <laughs> Talked about this. I don't know who they are. And just pace back and forth looking at the car. Who is that? I know I don't own that space, but I just wish the authorities were more onto it. <laughs> Light and momentary. Things that don't matter. But even more than that, we are going through difficulty right now, but I've got to tell you, we're here. We've got to wear masks. It's, it's so annoying. You don't know whether to shake people's elbows anymore. You know? but it's light and momentary. But maybe even for you, it's more heavy than that. Would you allow God to define the weightiness of the things in your life, not you? And maybe even you need to form the habit when you start your day or at the end of the day, like I do with my kids, and I ask them how was the day, and I help them to see moment by moment that what they said was really heavy 
in their mind and perhaps eternal is light and momentary. Would you let God do that with you? God, I've had this horrible day. And, and we've all had that, right? We've all had one of those days. But often I've found that when I have one of those days and I enter the presence of God and I say, God, would you show me your perspective? Would you give me heaven's perspective? For the most part, God goes, you know, Nathan, today was light and momentary. Today was light and momentary. It wasn't eternal and weighty, that thing that really got to you. Paul moves into verse 24 and he shares about our hope. For in this hope we were saved. The hope that is seen is no hope at all. But who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And into verse 28. And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Notice this. And we know. Can I tell you, believer in this place, you will go far better towards your Christian maturity when you focus on what you do know rather than what you don't know. How much time do we spend on what we don't know? John chapter 8, Jesus says, it's the truth you know that will set you free. And when we apply it to our lives, we live in freedom. And we know. I've just come to a place in my life where there is so many things I don't know, but I... I don't need to have this ledger of all the things I don't know compared to things I do know. There's only a handful of things I really need to know. And I live my life on that handful of things. And that is what has changed and shifted my faith and my maturity. There's about eight things I really know. (laughs) Well, hopefully more, but like in in a faith sense, (laughs) I know at least 38 things. Um, (laughs) But there's about seven or eight things when it comes back to it, like, faith things that I just build my life on. And can I tell you, there's about a thousand things I don't understand. There's about a thousand things I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. But my life isn't built on that. If you want to live out Romans 8.28, build your life on what you know, on who Christ is, on what he has done, the plan that he has for your life, your eternal security, the fact that he is with you, the fact that his word is solid and you can build your life on. Build your life on those things, not the thousand things you don't know. Seriously, when I get to heaven, we're going to have a long chat about dinosaurs and grapes. They should be far bigger. Imagine that. Imagine a grape the size of a watermelon. It'd be all you'd need. (laughs) And we know that all things God works for good. You know, our more literal translation is actually better. And I think we've heard this verse so often that we think that all things work together. Can I tell you all things don't work together? God works all things. A more literal translation is, for those loving Him, God works together all things to good. You see, all things work together for good is almost like karma. That's Eastern. That's kind of like everything's one and don't think of anything. Nothing's really happening. All things work together is just an ideology out there. No, we know that God works out all things. For those loving Him, God is the one who works out all things for his people. It's only subtle, but it's hugely important. All things work together is simply a cat poster to inspire you. God working all things together means that when I'm in relationship with God, he takes all the things that are fractured and he makes something beautiful out of it. My life is handed over to his. He works out all things. But I want to share this and then we'll close. I think it's really important. All things 
work together for good. You notice something. All things still happen to Christians. Sometimes it's easy to live under the illusion that all things don't happen to Christians, only some things happen to Christians. But I can tell you tonight, all things still happen to Christians. Sometimes the struggle in our faith is that we're surprised when all things happen to us. But I can tell you all things happen. The difference is that all things happen differently for a Christian and God uses all things together for good. But all things still happen, not just some things. Sometimes we live under this illusion that we are immune from everything just because we're a Christian. I believe in the healing work of God. I believe in His protection. I believe in His covering. Absolutely. But all things still happen. And I can tell you that from many years of being able to lead people and sometimes things not going the way that I really thought God should have sorted it out. Been to too many hospitals, been at those bedsides. Now, I don't know, I would have, you know if, if I was God, I really would have done things very, very differently. All things still happen, not just some things. But there is a difference. You see, we're not just saying that there's a miscategorization. Sometimes we can think that in our faith, isn't it? You know, oh, that thing that was a bad thing. Well, we've just mischaracterized that. That was a bad thing, but no, it's actually a good thing. No, bad things are still bad things. God just works out the bad things to become good things to his own ends. Are you keeping up with me? It is getting a little late in the night. Sometimes we, we think that we have to look at something and go, that's a bad thing, and, and, and then we have to recategorize it and say, that really bad thing no, it's actually a good thing. No, that's not how it works. Bad thing is still a bad thing. But in the hands of God, that, that bad thing becomes a thing that he has worked out for our good. Are you with me tonight? Am I getting too deep? Can you keep up? We're okay. All things still happen to us. Here's what we've often thought. Only some things happen to us. And the some things that do happen to us, very quickly, I will see the good thing that God is doing. That's not what the text says. Paul is saying all things still happen to us. God works out all things for good, but not with your finite eyes all of the time and not in your time frames. Years ago when we were in America, I lived in Long Beach and I know I've shared this before, it's embarrassing, but I want to share it. I had my first ever little fender bender accident. It was inexpensive, under $500. It was my fault. The hardest thing to deal with since that day is the fact that Beck has never had an accident, and she reminds me of that fact. But through various counseling sessions, I've worked through it, and uh, <laughs> tiny little fender bender. You know, and when that happened, I thought, you know, I was in my Jeep. Living, living the dream, you know, on the way to the beach. <laughs> First and last time I'll buy a Jeep, praise God. And um, it, it was fun, you know, and I hit this car. And, you know, you kind of think to yourself, well, that's all right. God works all things together, live good. Romans 8, 28. That Jeep, I know that's happened, but here's what's going to happen. One, either I get an amazing car. It's Ferrari time, baby, because he's working all it all out. Or the people that I am with, we're going to have a conversation on the roadside and they're going to receive Jesus, and they're going to fall on their knees, you know, and the angels, and, and it's going to work out. Let me tell you what happened. It cost me $500, and nothing else has happened since. 
In fact, the very people were trying to actually uh, get our insurance company for damages. And it got worse and not better. Can I tell you that happened about six years ago now? Can I tell you the good that I have seen? Nothing. <laughs> Still waiting. Sometimes bad things happen to us because all things happen to Christians and we put a time frame on it. And we just think just around the corner, there's going to be another thing and it's going to be better. Can I tell you, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that when you go through things, all things happen. God is still working all things out. It doesn't mean you'll always see it. And it doesn't mean you'll see it in your time frame. And it doesn't mean you'll see it this side of eternity. But do you trust your Father? Do you trust that He's working all things out? Do you trust that there is still a purpose? Do you trust that actually to His own ends, that was all part of His plan because He is sovereign over all? Do I trust my Father or am I working for a boss and I'm still waiting for my Ferrari? Because I could tell you I'll be waiting a long time. And so often in our lives, our faith takes a hit because we're still waiting around the corner. There's that person we thought we'd marry, but that didn't work out, so I'll marry a better person and they're not here yet. I didn't get that promotion, but it's okay. I'm getting a better promotion and it's still not here yet. And as the time rolls on, because you expect it to work out in your own brain, how it's meant to work out, your heart becomes bitter. Your heart becomes callous. And all of a sudden your faith is kind of on the rocks. What has happened there? Because we think He will work out everything for our own good with our own finite eyes and time frame. Until we realise we trust the Father. We trust the Father regardless. We trust the Father when all things happen. We trust the Father when things don't pan out the way that I would have planned them to go. Let me tell you this. The Father has good things in store for you. We know out of James that He gives good gifts to His children, the Father of heavenly light, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift is from above. He has great things for our lives. I believe He heals us and restores us. I believe he has an amazing plan for you and I to step towards. But he has a relationship as a father to a son or a daughter. And sometimes when things don't work out the way that we think they should, we still need to live lives of hope, lives of faith, lives that declare our trust in him even when we don't see it. Team, you can come and join me. I want to read... Verse 19, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Do you notice what Paul's ultimate expectation is? It's not just that his life circumstances would get a little bit better. I'm sure he prayed for that. I'm sure that Paul was well aware that he was living in a jail right now, not living his best life. I'm sure he's aware of that. But do you know what he's actually saying? I'm living right now in eager expectation for the ultimate freedom from bondage to decay and into the glory of the Lord. He uses a word there, eager expectation. It's quite a long Greek word. Apokaridokii. Yeah, don't try that one at home. Apokaridokii is an amazing word. It actually means 
not only eager expectation, which is what we've translated it as in our Bibles, eager expectation, but apokaridokiai actually means to live with your neck craned, searching and hoping and waiting for Him to return. Waiting for hope. Waiting for things to be better. I love that picture. The neck craned, stretching out, fixing our eyes on Jesus, not on our things, not on our circumstances, but on Him who was and who is is to come, to set everything right in the world. I'm sure you've been at the arrivals at an airport or departures or whatever the case may be, but predominantly it's the arrivals. Yeah, you're there, you're waiting for someone and if you're really keen, you haven't seen them for a while, you're, you're holding a sign, like a large sign. Well, actually, kids do that. Adults hold small signs. And we're like more sombre, like, you know, John Smith. Because yeah, you don't know the person. But if it's someone who you're excited about, you know, you might hold a poster up. I'm sure you've been there, though, and you know what it's like. They're coming through, especially at Brisbane, you know, you can't see who's coming out. The door's open and you're like, that's not them. You done that? You get all excited, especially little kids. The whole time, you got your eyes on the door and you're craning your neck when you see people coming out, trying to look over the crowd and you're expecting and you're longing and you're waiting. I reckon it's one of the greatest experiences in the world to actually be there when you haven't seen someone for years and years and and you see them and you embrace them. Can I ask you tonight, where is your hope at? What are you looking towards? Are your eyes fixed on your current circumstances, your hardship, your difficulty? Or is your neck craned and are you on your tippy toes longing and expecting God to do something? Longing and expecting Jesus to move afresh in your life. Deciding that this may be my current circumstance, but my eyes are not on these light and momentary things. My eyes are on you, Jesus. And and you're watching that door and you're waiting and you're longing and you're expecting. Life will cause your eyes to get down. Unmet expectations will cause your eyes to get down. When you can't see everything working together for good, it makes your eyes get down. But Paul is saying, have an eager expectation that God has got good things in store. And that when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, He radically shifts our own circumstances. It may be in this place. You didn't think it would go that way. You've been working really hard for it and it hasn't yet worked out. Can I encourage you this morning? He is working on your behalf. But tonight, would you stretch your neck out spiritually? Set your eyes, set your hope on Jesus. And when we do that, we begin to recategorize our problems away from light and momentary. We actually see what really matters. Let me pray for us. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. I just want to pray this one one particular point across this place. I just want to ask a very simple question. Perhaps even in this place, you've had a boss relationship with God. Even as I've been talking, that's been your predominant understanding of how it works. You do the things and He does His part. You work hard and then He should give you good things. I just want to break that off for you tonight. Maybe you wouldn't articulate it that way, but maybe there's a subtle expectation that if I get everything right, I'll have the good things. Or maybe you're saying, I'm living in a place of disappointment because I can't see that God has worked everything out yet. I'm trying to get everything right. Can I ask you this evening, 
for a subtle but incredibly important shift to move away from a boss understanding to know that He's your Father, to know that your status in His house is secure, that you can be confident in His plans for your life, that even right now, if you can't see everything working together for good, you don't need to live in fear, but you can lift up your eyes and set your eyes on the Father tonight, knowing that He can be trusted. Maybe I'm talking to your heart tonight. I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're saying, Nathan, if I'm honest, maybe you've been a a Christian for a long time, you're walking with Jesus, but suddenly you've developed this this boss understanding. Perhaps there's a subtle disappointment in your heart tonight because He's just not delivering. And you're actually saying, I I thought I'd be somewhere I'm not. I just want to break that off your life tonight. And as you respond in honesty with that, I just believe He's going to be given to give you heaven's perspective on your life. He's going to pour the love of the Father into your heart. I'm speaking to you, just in your own way. Just slip your hand onto your heart. This is where the transaction really matters. In fact, it doesn't really matter if I see it or not. But by slipping your hand on your heart, you're actually saying, I've developed a bit of a boss relationship with the Lord. And tonight I want to come back to having that father, son and daughter relationship. Jesus, we thank you for your grace extended to every one of us tonight. We thank you that you want us to live lives of eager expectation of what is to come. And tonight for those responding, we shift our hearts away from earning, away from performance management. We move our hearts to having a father and son and daughter relationship with you, Jesus. I thank you for those responding that you are pouring your love into their hearts directly right now. You're pouring out your grace and your mercy. You're reminding every heart responding right now that they belong to you. And I pray for hearts responding that have a settled disappointment. Lord, that thought, as they thought things would be different, I pray you'd give them heaven's perspective. Lord, that you are working all things out, that you are working on their behalf even when we can't see it straight away. And so, Jesus, we declare our trust in you afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message encouraged or perhaps even challenged you in your Christian faith. Our pastors meet regularly with people to pray and support them, and we extend this invitation to you. Please let us know if we can contact you to offer support. Simply call the office or visit nexuschurch.com.au.